Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Hilchois Malva Voloiva Pedek Hamisha Ve'eslim introduces the din of a Arev of a guarantor. The Ramam writes two very important rules when it comes to a guarantor. Number one, that makes a huge difference as to the time that the Arev steps in undertaking this achrayis of guaranteeing a loan. If a loan was already given and at a point later the Arev steps in, over there, generally, if the Arev does not make a kinyan through which he's obligating, obligating himself to be the Arev, that verbal commitment doesn't bind him legally to indeed guarantee the loan. However, if the Arev was part of the loan process itself, in other words, when the Malva was lending the money to the Loiva, at that time it was done with the understanding, based on the commitment of the Arev, there a Kenyan is not needed and the person is bound by the transaction of the loan, he now is a Arev. Obviously there are more details and there are exceptions and look inside the chapter to go into those. Now, the Ramam goes into two types of Arevus. We explained when we learned this chapter that the word Arev translated as a guarantor also means Mu'urav, intermingled with, deeply connected with. The Achrayis, the bind, and the responsibility of the guarantor, in our case, to the borrower, is that he's connecting himself with the borrower. To a certain degree, he therefore becomes part of the borrower and he can represent and be in the place of the borrower. Having said that, in a normal case of Arvus, when the malva, when the lender is coming to collect the debt, he first has to go to the borrower. And only if the borrower has no means at all of payment, only then does he have the right to go to the guarantor. However, there's another type of guarantor that we will call a kablon. The word kablon comes from the words to be makabal, to accept. In other words, he's accepting upon himself to be the underwriter, meaning that he's telling the malva that I am here on a level that if you want to come to me first, you can come to me first. And indeed, the malva can choose to do that. Now, it doesn't mean that the malva must go to the kablan first. No, but it means that unlike the arev, the kablan is someone to whom the malva can go to first to collect the loan. Hilchais malva v'loiva peidek shisha which is the second to last chapter in the laws of malva v'loiva, continues to learn the laws of an arev. We're going to focus now on the payment that the arev makes and then his rights to collect the money from the borrower. In other words, make no mistake, that no matter whether the arev is an arev, whether the arev is an arev kablan, whenever the arev does step in and pay the debt to the lender, it's not that the Arev undertook to do that as a matana to the borrower. It's only that he is the one that's responsible to deal with the Malva, but now the Arev will go to the Loiva. Now the question is, how much right does the Arev have when he collects whatever he laid out for the borrower? And going back to the big nafkamina we made, Benegea alone itself, whether it's a Milva Bishtar, whether, whether it's a Milva Alpeh, and the, one of the differences we learned above is that a milva alpeh never gives the right to the lender to collect from the mishubadim. Only when there was a milva bishtar, which creates a coil, only then will the lender have the right, when need be, at the end, to even go to the mishubadim. The same rule will apply to an arif. 
So now we have to know in details that Amman begins the chapter like this, that even if the fact that there was an Arev, even if that is written in the, in the Shtar, but it's not written when the Shtar is documenting the loan. Eloma, <clears throat> after the Shtar documents that the Malva loaned the Loiva X amount of money, all the way in the bottom, prior to the signing of the Edom, if there you wrote a line in, and so-and-so is an Arev, or so-and-so is an Arev Kablin, that doesn't make this type of guarantee to be a documented guarantee. There will not be a coil for the fact that there is an Arev. And if he lays out the money, when he goes to collect it from the borrower, he will not be able to collect it from the Mishubadim. Masha'enkein, if it's written, using the words of the Rambam, In other words, you write in the document that so-and-so borrowed money from so-and-so, and so-and-so is an Arev. In other words, it's intermingled in, it's right away written in with the loan, then it's considered an Arvus that's documented and therefore after he lays out the money if he lays out the money his rights to collect it from the borrower will even then be from the Mishubatim now a big part of this chapter is going to deal about scenarios where even when the Arev lays out the money he doesn't always have the right to collect it back from the borrower particularly when he was not asked to do so like let's give just an extreme example no one was an Arev simply who even lent money to Shimon no one ever made a, a undertaking of Arvus, but Levi comes and pays the debt. The rule then will be is that the borrower will tell this person who asked you to get involved. And it's not that he has the right to say that I already repaid the debt. It's more than that. He can tell this person who on his own became an Arv, you know what, I'm certain that the Malva would have been Michael the debt. I never would have ended up paying it. Now that you on your own laid out the money, I don't have to compensate you. Which is the final chapter in the laws of lenders and borrowers is all about the proper way to formulate a document. How to write it. Now the goal of writing of a document is to write it in a way where it's very difficult to forge it. You know, the words are is to make sure you cannot forge it. Obviously, you know, if, if someone has bad intentions, and especially if they know how a document has to be formulated, and especially if people are susceptible, susceptible to bribery, we're not claiming that a document can, will never be forged, but it has to be written in a way where forging such a document will be extremely difficult. And therefore, the Ramam begins, what happens if you have a star that's not written in Lashon HaKodesh? Or even if the letters of Lashon HaKodesh are, are used, but you are writing another language with it. You are writing English in, 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 through the characters of the Holy Tongue, or vice versa. So that Bechlal is not significant. Language is not significant. What will be of great significance is, number one, was it written, Ketikun Shtare Yisrael? That means that even if the Argoyim that wrote the document, but that they are knowledgeable with, and they are following our enactments, that is extremely helpful. On top of that, whether the signatories are Yidin or Goyim are of great significance, Va'ayin Bifnim, the Nafkeminas to that. But the Iker of this chapter, the majority of the chapter, is simply explaining what is the proper way to formulate a document. A couple of just general rules and a lot more inside. Number one, the last line of a document may not introduce anything new into the loan. It must, however, recap give a synopsis of everything that was written above. And that is of tremendous benefit because it will be common 
that you have a scribe writing the document, you have witnesses signing on the document, they might not put their signatures right under the nusach of the document. There might be some space. Now, there is a limit to how much space they can leave. The Ramam says that if the Edim began signing two lines under the document, by default the document is already invalid. Okay, I get that. But they can put it in a way that you can still squeeze a line in. So how can you allow a document where it's possible that you recorded a truthful, let's say, loan, then you have to wait them that signed, the document is given in the hands of the lender, and now he's going to squeeze in, and later I loaned him another $100, or whatever the number is. So to prevent from that happening, the rule is, is that the last line of the document is never going to be adding anything new. There's another very important rule concerning documents that are erased documents. What we mean with that is, is that I know nowadays we're living in a world of tremendous abundance. You know, if a paper was used, you're not going to reuse it. Then it wasn't that way. So whether it's paper, whether it was parchment, very common that it was erased and reused. So there's a lot of pratim in which we have to make sure that there should never be a possibility that a document was written. Let's say the document was written and the upper part of this paper was never erased before. It was blank paper. And the Adem are signing on a, the lower part of the paper that was previously had things written on it and then it was erased and they signed on it. That's the end of the world. Because that will give the ability to the Malva to erase everything that was written above and then to rewrite a whole new loan that never took place. And when people are going to look at it, they'll be able to authenticate the Hasim of the Adem and it's going to look like a document written all on a erased document, but everything there is forged and look inside the chapter from any other pratim of what we have to do to prevent such types of forgeries of ever taking place.